Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. At KPMG, our people make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. And so he said, out of respect for you, I I was hearing you and I and I was going to do my best to try to stay away from her. But he's like, dude, I'm a psych major, you know, like if what you're saying is true. She killed him, and then that night she was rolling around with me in my bed. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting so far away from Alexis Linkletter and even farther away from Billy Jensen. So on today's episode, we're hitting you with part two of our three-episode series on the murder of Travis Alexander by his ex-girlfriend, Jody Arias. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, we discussed how Jody and Travis met and Jody's bizarre escalating behavior as told through a first degree connection, Travis's best friend, Chris Hughes. Today, we're revealing never before heard information about the investigation as the police built their case against Jody Arias. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you need to stop and go back and listen to part one. But before we dive in, what day is it, Billy? The days today are really poignant because they are... International No Diet Day. Ooh, that's a good one. Nas- that's, a li- that's a lifestyle. National Beverage Day. Ooh. Mm-hmm. National Anxiety Disorders Screening Day. Well, yeah. Check and check. Got all those. <laughs> and National Nurses Day. Oh, that's thank a you good to one our nurses. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you, you to our nurses. To so, all our healthcare workers. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was quick, but that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. In July of 2008, Jodi Arias became a household name, and not just because she was an unassuming, innocent-seeming, platinum blonde with a soft-spoken voice, but also because she was an accused murderer. The man Jodi victimized was beloved by many, many people, and Travis Alexander did not see Jodi Arias coming. And you know what? Neither did the world, because Jodi Arias embodied what we're all terrified of. 
She is a true wolf in sheep's clothing, a phenomenal actor without a conscience, a being so manipulative and so cunning with the ability to seem vulnerable, eliciting her target to let their guard down. These are the stories we're all terrified of, the fear that the person lying next to us in bed may hurt us or worse, kill us. And it's for all of these reasons that the public couldn't look away as the case unfolded in the national news media. This woman was a character written by the dreams of talking heads like Nancy Grace, by the news networks that live and die by ratings. For better or for worse, Jodi Arias is a name we all know. And you know why? Because she was as beautiful, strange, and wicked as her crimes were heinous. And her characteristics were as glaring as the loss of Travis Alexander. Last week's episode, we shared with you the beginning, middle, and end of Travis and Jody's relationship. You got the backstory. You got all of the romantic sort of trappings that drew them together. At this point, the police are starting their investigation at the beginning. Travis's body has been discovered. They're at square one. So where did they start? When the homicide investigators started working on Travis's case, their investigation was a two-pronged approach. The detectives speak with the friends and family of the victim in an effort to smoke out initial leads. And in tandem, the forensics experts are focusing on the science of the scene. All of Travis's friends were pointing the finger at Jody, but they needed corroboration from physical evidence. And as we explained in our last episode, this was a bloody, violent crime scene. There was a lot of physical evidence to be collected. And for this reason, it took days to process the scene. And remember, there were blood stains all over the bathroom. Then there was the bloody palm print on the wall and blood all over the sink. And everything needed to be tested. And of course, the assumption was that most of the blood was Travis's. But it seemed like there was clearly a violent struggle and it's possible that Travis's attacker sustained injuries as well. Crime scene investigators also found a hair and a small latent print in blood near the entrance of Travis's bathroom. Then there's that 25 caliber bullet casing. The police couldn't find any firearms in the home, so the gun must have been taken from the scene when the killer left. And at the home, every drawer and cabinet was looked into. Cushions were lifted up and looked under. Every nook and cranny of that house was searched. And their diligence paid off when they made a strange discovery in the home's laundry room. So in the washing machine, they found wet sheets, a towel that had been soaked in bleach, and a brand new Canon camera. All right, so what's the significance of this camera? The camera was waterlogged and couldn't turn on, and the file card was soaked as well. But the police hoped they would be able to extract data from the camera anyways. So this camera being destroyed obviously seems deliberate. So what was Travis's killer trying to hide? You know, it's kind of ironic and poetic in a way. This person seemed to be trying to wash away all this evidence literally by throwing the camera in the laundry. And police had no idea if they could salvage anything from the camera, and only time would tell. So now, if you recall from last week, Travis's best friend Chris was in Mexico when he received the news about his best friend's murder. And he was on that trip that Travis was supposed to join him on. 
So that begs the question, when he gets home from this trip, what was happening? So there was a few things going on when we got back from Cancun. I wanted to shut down her, her social outlet. You know, I wanted to protect my friends and my colleagues who had been bamboozled by her, namely Ryan Burns. Ryan Burns, Jody's new flame who was living in Utah. And as a reminder, it's Ryan Burns who Jody said she was visiting the very next day after Travis's murder when she initially talked to the police over the phone. She was with Ryan Burns in Utah. That is her alibi. Jody had already set her sights on this new, young, charismatic, rising star in then prepaid legal, now legal shield. And Ryan Burns was the lucky guy. And she knew that she was on the outs with Travis, and now she wanted another meal ticket. And Ryan was on his way to Six Figures Plus. He was, uh, again, the new budding superstar. So I remember calling Ryan and saying, hey, listen, don't talk to Jody. Just so you know, like, she did this. And he was like, he could not believe it. And we've had multiple conversations about that phone call since then. And this is kind of some of the things that he said over time. And so he said, out of respect for you, I, I was hearing you and I, and I was going to do my best to try to stay away from her. But he's like, dude, I'm a psych major. You know, like if what you're saying is true, she killed him. And then that night she was rolling around with me in my bed. And he's like, there's no way, like no way that she and he literally was telling me this at the time. There's no way. He's like, Chris, she was laughing and giddy and being silly. And there's just no way. And I go, Ryan, listen, I'm telling you, she did it. So understandably at first, Ryan had a difficult time wrapping his head around the possibility that this hot chick he was just rolling around in bed with could have done this to their friend. But Ryan eventually started coming around to the possibility that it was true. And he was like, well, she was kind of MIA and she she turned off her phone and she wasn't returning my calls and my texts and oh my gosh. And I'm like, Ryan, that's because she did it. She did it, I'm telling you. And he was like, oh, I don't know, okay, okay. Well, then I said to him, I said, listen, if you give her the cold shoulder, let me just make a prediction. You give her the cold shoulder, you start acting weird at all to her, and she's going to turn the sex on. Just watch. Because that's her only tool. She's going to have to turn to sex. He didn't know what to think, you know, because he trusted his gut and he trusted his, his formal education. And he's like, no, if this lady's a murderer, I would have known. I mean, I spent, you know, intimate time with her and there's no way. Ryan is done with kind of the shock and awe, realizing that he'd been rolling around with a murderer hours after she had killed our good friend, Travis. And who knows if she, she may have had blood under her fingernails, you know, that just the thought of that is so creepy. But then he said, um, he said to me that she, he goes, you know what? You're absolutely right. He said, I started acting weird. I was putting off her calls. And she immediately started with, like, the sex talk, the sex texting. 
So on the heels of his best friend's murder, we wondered if Chris felt compelled to contact Jody directly to confront her. I really didn't have, I didn't have anything to say to her, you know? I mean, we just kind of, we were in this suspended animation, this just kind of a pause. We needed her to at least be arrested. Um, you know, because even though I felt 99.99999% certain, you know, there's still that point zero 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 one percent that uh, may have been possible. So we really needed it to just kind of play out. But no, and, and actually one of your listeners reached out to me on Facebook and asked me if I did want to lash out at her and give her my mind and scream at her. And it was like, no, I, I never spoke with her. But interestingly, there were people all around me who who did reach out to her, who were making contact. And I can't remember if my brother was one of them, but around about this time, he was actually talking to Jody about the possibility of her renting a room in his house, like staying in his basement. <laughs> so, so that could have been an interesting plot twist. So there's emotional chaos and turmoil within Travis's group of friends. Some are sure that Jody was responsible, and some are in total disbelief that it's her. Despite the theories and the conflicting thoughts about Jody that were being passed around Travis's social circle, the investigators stayed focused on the evidence. And days after Travis was found, an autopsy was conducted. And the characteristics of his injuries seemed to reveal that this attack on Travis was personal and fueled with rage. The bullet Travis had been hit with struck him near his eyebrow and ended up in his cheek. But it didn't kill him. What was officially determined to be the murder weapon was a knife, as Travis had been stabbed a staggering 27 times in his chest and back. But Travis ultimately bled to death from the wound to his neck, which had been cut from ear to ear under his chin. The medical examiner determined that the small 25 caliber bullet likely grazed Travis's brain, incapacitating him, but not killing him. It's at this point that Travis likely tried to fight back, tried to defend himself, but of course he's disoriented. He's been shot in the face. But this moment where he's disoriented gives his killer a window of opportunity to strike with the knife. Now, we all know that stabbing is an up-close and personal way to commit a murder, and the sheer number of stab wounds definitely reflected an intimate and personal connection. The autopsy also revealed information that would be key in answering a very important question. Travis had been discovered on June 9th, but when had he actually been killed? So they needed to know when the murder actually occurred so they could establish a timeline. So based on the level of decomposition, the ME believed that Travis had been dead for five days before being discovered, meaning that he was murdered on June 4th. So the police pulled Travis's phone and email records, and as expected, June 4th was the last day that he had communicated with anyone, with the final call being made late in the afternoon. They learned from Travis's colleagues that he had missed a business call later that same evening. So now the question is, where was Jody on the 4th? And remember, the two of them were living in different states, so had she even been in Arizona at the time of the murder? Now remember, the first time that the police made contact with Jody Arias following Travis's murder is when she reached out to them, offering assistance in any way she could offer it. Detective Jody, please. Hey, Jody. Hey, Jody. Detective Steve Flores with the Mesa, Arizona Police Department. Oh, hey. How are you? Good. I, I just got a message uh, from one of my patrol officers that uh, you needed to talk to me about something. Well, I just wanted to offer any assistance. 
heard that he passed away, and I heard there was a lot of blood. I heard that um, his roommate found him, or his friend found him, or people were. I'm sorry. So I'm upset. Now, on that call, Jody said that she hadn't seen Travis for months, citing April of 2008 as the last time she had been in Arizona to see him. She referred to herself as, quote, a good friend of Travis's and admitted that they had been seeing each other as boyfriend and girlfriend for over five months, but had officially broken up in June of the previous year, which was 2007. She said that the breakup was attributed to, quote, some jealousy issues on the part of both of them. She also admitted that after they broke up, they continued to have a sexual relationship, but kept it quiet from people they knew. She said she had last spoken to Travis the day before the murder on June 3rd. When asked where Jody had been on the day of the murder, she tells them that she had been on her way to see her new flame. And of course, that's Ryan Burns, as we discussed. So the police track down Ryan Burns in West Jordan, Utah, and he tells them something interesting. Ryan explained that Jody showed up for their visit on June 5th, which was the day after the murder. She was driving a white rental car. He said he didn't notice anything being off about her disposition, but he did notice that she had some bandages on her hands. He also noted that she wore long sleeves on days when it was extremely hot. When Ryan asked her about the injuries, she told conflicting stories about how the wounds occurred. She told Ryan that they were burns from working at a Margaritaville restaurant back home in Wairika. Now, this is strange because there's no such restaurant that exists in Wairika at all. And in fact, at the time of the murder, Jody worked at a restaurant called Casa Ramos. So while the police are piecing things together and tracking down evidence across multiple states, what exactly is Jody doing? Well, Jody was essentially leaning into this role of the devastated widow. She was posting photo galleries and tribute to Travis on her MySpace page, one in particular titled In Loving Memory of Travis. And she also sent flowers to members of Travis's family. There were two services for Travis. Uh, one of them was just a memorial service in Arizona for his Arizona friends, colleagues, and church family. And Jody actually attended that one. That one happened first. And I didn't go for a few reasons. I can't remember what they are now. And Jody showed up and she played the role because, of course, this is before she was arrested. But she was playing the role of the mourning widow, you know, like as if she was the ex-girlfriend. And, oh, my gosh, woe is me. It's so terrible. And my boyfriend has been killed. And so I've heard some stories second and third hand of some interesting things that went on there. But, you know, I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure. But people were just so aggravated that she was there because as you hear from the 911 call and all of Travis's friends, we all pointed to Jody instantaneously. So like Chris said, he didn't attend the first service for Travis in Arizona, but he did attend the funeral. So then there was another one a little later in Southern California and Riverside County, which is where Travis was born and raised and where a lot of his family still lived. And I did attend that one. And Jody was planning on coming to that event. And so I called a friend of mine who I knew was friendly with Jody. And I said, hey, just... 
I know y'all are friends, but just, you know, she did this. And it would be in her best interest if she does not come. So I don't know if you can run interference, but it might be a good thing for you to do. And he was like, wow, you know, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely tell her. So he, he called her and I don't know if he called her or texted her, but basically said, you know, I talked to Chris and you should probably not come to this funeral. <laughs> and then she came up with some cockamamie story about how, oh, I wanted to be there so bad, but I got a flat tire and yada, yada, yada. So she was trying to save face and have a story to, to not look guilty. You know what I mean? It's like, here's the the ex-girlfriend of Joe, of Travis. And for whatever reason, she doesn't show up to his funeral. So she put that story out as aggressively as she could that, you know, she had a flat tire and wasn't able to make it. And while Chris refrained from lashing out at Jody directly, there was some real fear about what else she could be capable of. I was concerned about, you know, my safety and the safety of my family. And at that time, I was living on a 40-acre horse ranch. There's all this property. There was a one of the fields that we had at that time was just overgrown, just a bunch of growth. And so I would do seminars often and would come home. Let's say I forgot to feed the horses. I'd come home. It's midnight. It's dark, right? We're on 40 acres. And there's this field with three feet, basically, of weeds. And I used to think, like, she could be out there, you know? Like, she could be crouched down with a weapon. Chris recalls a phone conversation he had with one of the detectives on the case, Detective Esteban Flores. And at first, when I first talked to the investigators, I was saying, look, I don't care who you have on your radar. It's Jody Arias. So Flores said, well, do you know anything about this ex-roommate? I can't remember the guy's name, but I was like, no, no. Like, no, I I don't need to know anything about that roommate. It wasn't him. It wasn't any of his roommates. It was Jody Arias. Get Jody Arias. Well... We have some other, you know, we're looking at, and I'm like, no, no. And so I'm like pulling my hair out because I, I know that it's her and we're kind of freaked out, you know, like we live out on some property and we're worried that, you know, Jody could be out there like lurking. And the investigator said, essentially, look, Jody Arias can't belch without us knowing about it. And so at that point, it let us know, oh, okay, so she is, she is a person of interest. They are watching her, and we felt safe at that point. So while we're on the subject of the gun, let's talk about the twenty-five caliber handgun that was used during the murder of Travis. So if Jody had been the killer, she would have needed to procure this firearm somehow. Well, there are no weapons registered to Jody. But in doing some digging, the police learned that at the time of Travis's murder, Jody was actually living at the home of her grandparents in Wairika, California. And then they learned that only months before Travis's murder, there had been a burglary at Jody's grandparents' house. Yeah, I mean, she's, she has a criminal mind. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this was premeditated, clearly and undeniably. And she, she didn't have any money. And she didn't have a whole lot of resources. She didn't have a lot of friends. And obviously she needed to go underground with acquiring a weapon. And so, yeah, she stages this um, burglary of her grandparents' home. And her dad, her grand, 
grandpa happened to have a 25 millimeter pistol and it happened to be one of the very few things that was stolen in this robbery or burglary and yeah happened to be the exact same gun that was used to shoot travis so the question here is did jody actually stage this burglary at her grandparents house to get this gun it sure looks like she did And this is really important because like Chris said, this act not only reflects a level of calculation that's pretty diabolical, but also because this act proves the very premeditated nature of Travis's murder. The police continue to build their case. And on June 17th, just over a week after Travis's body was found, Jody agreed to drive to Arizona from Wairika to meet face-to-face with the Mesa PD. There, she was voluntarily fingerprinted, and she also gave investigators a sample of her saliva for DNA testing. And ironically, it was while the police were waiting for the lab results that a shocking revelation was made. So side note, the whole time this investigation was unfolding, some very important progress was being made in the background. The crime scene lab had been working to extract data from the camera that was found in Travis's washing machine. And to say that they're able to recover several shocking images from the camera would be a huge understatement. Many of these deleted images were of Travis. And there were also really revealing photos of Jody. the first of which time-stamped at 1.40 p.m. on June 4th, the day that Travis was murdered. So if you've never seen these photos before and you don't feel compelled to Google them, here's a description. They kind of start as playful, like a couple playing around with a new camera in bed, snapping sexy naked pictures of each other. Really like coy and, you know, playful. It, it looks it looks fun, whatever. That They start in the bedroom and move into the bathroom. Then there's pics of Travis that seem a lot more contrived. He's posing and water is dripping down his body and he's staring really intensely into the lens. So anyone even slightly familiar with this case knows about these photos. They are infamous. And they're one of the main reasons why this case exploded into an international media frenzy. But here's some insight into these photos that you've never heard before. And one of the pictures communicates to me, it just speaks to me. It's so sad, those photographs that Jody took of him in the bathroom, or excuse me, in the shower. There's this photo where he's looking deep into the camera and he looks so sad. He just looks so sad. And and I think that what I see when I look at that picture of him is I see that he realized that he, as far as the church, the Mormon church is concerned, um, you know, that he had really messed up and that he was probably going to be either disfellowshipped the church or even excommunicated. Um, that's what I see when I look at that photo is just fear and distraught and, and deep sorrow and pain. And because he really was, and in Mormonism, most people, most people hear this and go, oh, he's a young guy. I'm sure he got after it. But the thing that people need to understand is that, you know, within, within, the, within the Mormon church, you know, they look at the uh, sexual, what they would refer to as sexual sin. As, as very, you know, egregious and a serious sin. Um, and so Travis was um, in, the, in the Mormon church. You know, you, anybody can go to a church, even non-members. Anybody's welcome to go to a Mormon church at any time, you know, a- anybody anywhere. 
Well, to go to the temple, Mormon temple, you have to have a temple recommend. Well, if you're sleeping with somebody outside of marriage, you know, you, you're not going to, your temple recommend, the, the, the bishop would take your temple recommend, you know, until you had gotten back on the straight and narrow. Well, Travis was just, he, actually, I think he just got his temple recommend back. So he'd been repenting and working with the bishop to make sure that, there was enough space between he and Jody. Like, okay, now, yeah, you're doing great, Travis. Here's your temple recommend back. You know, you're you're doing so great. I'm really proud of you. So he was like so happy. That was such a big deal for him to have his temple recommend back to be in full faith and fellowship with the Mormon Church. So I don't think that he just threw caution to the wind and just, you know, ravaged. Uh, Jody that night. I think that it probably happened slowly. Um, there were there were many times where Travis would let a friend, a female friend, sleep on his bed. Sometimes he would give them his bed if he was really comfortable with them. They would they would share the bed. You know, he had this big king, and so I'm sure that that they were sharing the bed that night. And you know, all it, all it would take is a little bit of touch, and it would you know it would be game on. So I think she did seduce him that night. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. 
it's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So the series of photos revealed an evolution of this encounter between Jody and Travis. It moves from fun, playful, and sexy before landing on Travis's terrifying last moments. When you take a look at the order of the photos, they go from the bedroom to the shower. And in the shower, at first they're posed. The very last photo of Travis Alexander alive was shot in the shower at 5.30 p.m. Seconds later, the images on this photo card depicted Travis profusely bleeding on the floor. It appeared that at some point during Travis's murder, the camera was dropped and a picture was accidentally taken and it revealed a figure standing over Travis's body. So as we know, these photos are a huge part of the case against Jody. These photos prove that Jody lied about the last time that she had seen Travis. They also proved that she had been the last person to be with Travis on the day that he died. And although in the final photos, you can only see the shoe and the pants of the culprit, the assumption here that is it is Jody, since she was handling the camera seconds prior to that photo being accidentally snapped. And while the final photos are dark, grainy, and distorted, you could tell that Travis's killer was dragging him from one spot in the bathroom to another. So two days after the images on the camera were recovered, Jody was interrogated by the police on June 19th. Jody continued to insist that she had last seen Travis in April of 2008, despite being presented with DNA and photographic evidence to the contrary. So she came up with excuse after excuse in terms of these photos. She also had several nonsensical responses to these photos when confronted with them. Here's an example. Quote, I'm not a murderer, but if I was, I would wear gloves or try to wash him off or something. First of all, Travis was washed off. Um, so this, this is really just her spontaneous utterances. And I really think she was shocked, um, that they were able to get photos off of this memory card. Not only that. So Chris had an interesting theory. Um, he thinks that remember in part one, we talked about how the, the sheets had been removed from Travis's bed. He believes that the camera was in the sheets at some point. She threw it on the bed. She wrapped it up, threw it in the wash and forgot the camera was there Mm -hmm. and it was an oversight which makes sense. You know what I mean? Makes, she probably deleted them and was like, sense, whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Then dumping it in the washing machine deliberately, she would ju- have just taken the camera with her. No one would have yeah. known it existed. So it's at this point that the police have a lot on Jody. A lot of evidence is pointing towards Jody. Clearly they are closing in on her, but they let her go because they really want an airtight case. And they're also watching her every move and keeping her under surveillance. Later on the same day, Jody was questioned She posted this message to her MySpace page, quote, I miss you, Travis. See you soon, my friend, but not soon enough. Five days after Travis was buried, police learned that the hair and 
Five days after Travis was buried, police learned that the hair and bloody prints found inside Alexander's home were a match to Jody. The results also indicated that the bloody prints contained a mixture of both Travis's and Jody's DNA. Then on July 9th, 2008, Jody celebrated her 29th birthday, and she received a really special birthday gift, an indictment for the first-degree murder of her ex-boyfriend, Travis Alexander. And days later, Siskiyou County detectives arrived at the Wairika home of Jody's grandparents with an arrest warrant. And two things of note can be observed in her mugshot. The first one was, Jody had gone from a peroxide blonde to a brunette. And the second, she was smiling. So how did Chris feel when he received word that Jody had finally been arrested? Just thank God, you know. I mean, I was like, yes. I mean, fist pumps. I mean, I was, because I mean, really, you know, it, like if it's just you, it's like whatever, you know. I mean, I'm a guy, I can take care of myself. Now, if she has a weapon, you know, I mean, I have weapons too, but I need to see her first <laughs> in order for my weapon to do me much good. So, you know, but I, at that time, I was married. And so I had a spouse to, that I was concerned about and, uh, and I had children that I was concerned about. And so when I heard that she was arrested, I mean, huge, huge sigh of relief. And then, of course, that 0.0001% that I talked about, you know, that went away. And now it's like, you know, I felt I felt vindicated. I felt justified. I just like, thank goodness, because there were still a few people out there um, who who didn't believe me, you know? And as a matter of fact, I'm thinking of a couple people right now who stopped being my friend because they liked Jody so much and they were so upset that I was accusing her that they, they stopped being my friend. I mean, these aren't people that were my good friends, obviously. They're more like colleagues that I worked with. But um, so, yeah, it was... On many, many levels, it felt fantastic uh, when I found out that she was finally arrested. Detective Mendez with the Siskiyou Police Department was one of the arresting officers, and he told Fox News, quote, When I first came across Jody and we arrested her at her grandparents' house, my initial impression of her was she didn't seem concerned at all. The whole case was bizarre, especially her demeanor. Even when we booked her, she wanted to make sure that her hair looked okay. Things like that were not sitting well with a lot of us. So once they got her back to the department headquarters, they put her in the interrogation room. And it's at this point that Jody's bizarre behavior was captured on video. And if you're familiar with this case, I'm sure this is some of the viral coverage that you are familiar with. A lot of details on this case that haven't been released to, to the public and not even to Travis's family. And those details are known only by us and the person who did it, okay? And, and that's one of the reasons I'm here, is because I believe that you know some of these details. Okay. And I think you can help us. I would love to help you in any way that I can. Okay. And when police had Jody in the interrogation room, one of the main things they were bumping on and confronting her with was her timeline. Because remember, her story is, on the 4th, the day Travis was murdered, she was en route to Utah, but she didn't arrive until the 5th. 
So when police did the math, they calculated the mileage, they calculated how long this trip would have taken. There was 18 hours that Jody could not account for. And that's because she wasn't going straight to Utah. She was murdering Travis in Mesa, Arizona. I have a problem with this trip. I've gone over this trip over and over in my mind and on paper. And even if, if there's still 20 some odd hours, even if you pulled over to sleep a couple of times. Did I tell you that I got stranded? Yeah. You mentioned that. If you slept for 10 hours. I only slept for Here and here. It would still leave 18 some odd hours for something else. Okay. This is what people are focusing on. Is this trip that you took? Because they're saying she left. She needs to tell Thursday. Wednesday? That's when Travis was killed. So another thing that Jody was confronted with was the burglary at her grandparents' house where that gun, that 25 caliber pistol was quote unquote stolen in that random burglary. Joey, we're just playing games here. That gun was in your possession. When did you report it stolen? Um, I didn't even know that there were guns until my, grandpa- my grandparents reported it stolen the day that their house was broken into. When was that? A few months ago, maybe. What did you do with the gun? I don't have a gun. That records check shows you that you uh, just reported a, a gun stolen. 25 auto. Just happens to be the same caliber as the weapon used to kill him. 25 And while Jody was initially sobbing through this four-hour police interrogation, the video footage depicts her dramatically changing her demeanor and attitude as soon as the prosecutor and interrogating officers leave the room, as if the whole thing is an act that she could drop as soon as no one was looking. She's talking to herself. She's singing to herself. She's going through the contents of the garbage can in the room, before doing a rather impressive headstand against the wall. So she stands on her head for almost 30 seconds while she waits for the detective to return. Then she sings the song Here With Me by pop star Dido. She also mumbles to herself, you could have at least put makeup on, Jody." It might change my memory. I can't breathe until you're resting here with me. So then the next things Jody say, she's either expressing concern or excitement. It's hard to differentiate with her about the fact that her arrest will be on the news that evening. It went to a grand jury and a grand jury indicted you. So it's all public now? It's public record. So does everyone know? If somebody goes on checks public record, they can check it. And they would come up with an indictment against you for murder. But it's going to be on the news tonight? We don't report anything to the news. Has his family called today? No. They don't even know that I'm talking to you. But they've been calling every day? Every day. Are you going to tell them? I talk to them every day. 
I've been wanting to call every day too. I didn't want to look obsessive, so I just tried to limit it to once a week. So while Jody thinks no one is watching and doing handstands and such, law enforcement is watching the video feed from the next room. And Detective Mendez said this to Fox News, quote, she was trying to burn off stress. That was an indicator of stress. When people are put under a lot of stress, that energy has to go somewhere. So you you do see a lot of bizarre things in the interrogation room. She was just kind of rambling, but the whole yoga scene was a little strange to me. I've seen some strange things, but that's up on the top. So interesting about this interrogation footage. So I was doing an episode of Snapped, and I interviewed Detective Mendez for something else, for a different crime. And I went to the Siskiyou County Police Department. And the first thing he did when I met him, and he was like, have you ever been to Wairika before? Have you been to Siskiyou County? And the courthouse is right next to the police department. And it's in one of those sort of... um, Do you guys remember in certain elementary schools, they have like portable sort of classrooms that are kind of like, it's not like a trailer, but that's what their police department is in. It's very small. It's a very, very, very small town. So it's in one of those little trailer things. And the interrogation room is like the size of a walk-in closet. And uh, it looks bigger in the footage. And he took me in there. He's like, we arrested Jody Arias. Like I, you know, I did that interrogation. And he took me into the room and he showed me and I was like, oh my God, I know it from the footage. And, uh. I think it's, it was awesome. I mean, it was interesting. It's one of the biggest cases in history. So it was, it was cool to see it. Yeah, totally. So I was excited to see this room because obviously we're all so familiar with this strange footage of her. Right. And so while Jody was acting odd when she was in that room, here's the broad strokes of what she said while she was being questioned. She denied having any motive to want to kill Travis. And she denies being in Mesa She denies being in Arizona. She just denies and denies and denies pretty much everything. And then she pleads with them. She begs them. She says, what can I do to change your mind? Were you at Travis's house on Wednesday? Absolutely not. I was was nowhere near Mesa. I was nowhere near Phoenix. It's like what Chris said earlier, like she starts turning the sex up kind of too. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I dare I say she's sort of being flirty with the detectives. Like she's very sort of doe eyed and deer in headlights and like, you know, she's playing that sort she's sexing it up for sure. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, she's so vain. She wanted to get makeup and she wanted to look good for her photos, her mugshots and you know, so I see her 
standing on her head in the interrogation office and or interrogation room. And it's like, well, is she trying to put blood in her face, you know, so that she has a little more color when she gets her pictures taken? Or was that more of her trying to get out front and maybe trying to prove that she's insane? You know, it's like, I mean, if she was that calculated, it's, she, it's really interesting because on the one hand, she's, she's kind of smart and shrewd and calculating, but on the other hand, she's an idiot, you know? I mean, she's just a really stupid criminal, a terrible murderer, um, you know, and, and, and her, part of her undoing is her arrogance, you know, it's her hubris, it's her, it's her thought that, you know, I'm so smart, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, outsmart, outbox the system. Yeah, it, it just goes to show, okay, she's, she's a lunatic, she's literally crazy, um, she's unstable, or I kind of lean towards her wanting to have some footage where, you know, maybe her attorneys at some point could go for insanity, an insanity plea. Like, look at this crazy woman standing on her head and talking to herself and singing Christmas songs in the summer. Like, you know, she, clearly she's not sane. We need to, I mean, so that's kind of where my mind goes, but who knows? So now as far as the evidence against Jody, the police already had the images pulled from the camera, which seems to be a smoking gun. But in preparation for the trial, the police and prosecution need to be prepared for the defense to poke holes in this evidence. Maybe they'll dispute the timestamps. Maybe they'll say that the time on the camera was improperly set and the photos of Jody and Travis were from a different encounter. And remember, the photos were taken during the murder itself, so you can't see much of the killer at all. They needed other pieces of the puzzle in order to have an airtight case against her. And a big part of the puzzle was proving that Jody made the trip to Arizona to kill Travis. By the time Jody was arrested on July 15th, the police had been investigating Travis's murder for more than a month. And once she was arrested, they had access to her bank card and her credit card info. They learned that two days before Travis was killed, Jody rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California. And when Jody rented the car, she told the rental agent that she was only driving the car locally. However, when she returned the car three days after the murder, the mileage gauge reflected that Jody had actually driven it over 2,800 miles. And the car's floor mats were missing. Unfortunately, by the time the police had pieced this together and had attempted to locate the car, it had already been cleaned by the car rental service. So the next thing the police uncovered was that the day after Travis's murder in West Jordan, Utah, a police officer actually pulled Jody over while she was in this rental car on her way to see her new flame, Ryan Burns, we've discussed. So when Jody was pulled over, it was because the front license plate of her car was just completely missing. And the rear plate was upside down. Interesting. So when the police probed her about this, Jody laughed it off and said some kids must have been playing a trick on her. And she saw some kids near her car while she was making a pit stop at a Starbucks while she was on this road trip. So the officer, I'm sure, was charmed by Jody, this beautiful woman. Ha ha ha, these kids are messing with me. He cut her a break and he didn't ticket her for anything. And when she arrived at the home of Ryan Burns, he helped her fix the plates. So in hindsight, 
Perhaps this is something Jody did with the plates in an effort to make her car more difficult to find in case she was caught on surveillance footage at a roadside business or, you know, by a traffic cam or something to that nature. It's kind of smart. Like, turn it upside down. Hard to read. She knows this footage is grainy generally. Remove the front plate, you know, then blame it on kids if she gets pulled over. And that's exactly what she did. Right. And the police figured that there must be additional evidence proving that Jody did drive to Arizona. So whether that be fuel receipts from gas stations or surveillance footage of her fueling up at a gas station, but there wasn't anything. And this is why. So the police spoke to Jody's much older ex-boyfriend, Daryl Brewer, if you guys remember him. He told them that several days before Travis's murder, Jody contacted him and asked to borrow two five-gallon gas cans for a trip to Arizona that she was planning. And once the police obtained warrants, they also learned that at a Salinas, California Walmart, Jody had purchased a third five-gallon gas can, sunblock, and facial cleanser. These purchases were made the day before Travis was murdered. That same day... Jody stopped at an Arco gas station in Pasadena, California. There she purchased 8.301 gallons of fuel with her debit card. But then, four minutes later, she per- purchased 10 gallons of fuel with cash. Well, that's the thing. So she's a good criminal and a bad criminal. It's like, you yeah. didn't think, like, with your psycho behavior leading up, they would look at you. And this is actually genius. It's like, you bought gas. That's reasonable. You know, you. but then to buy it with cash, thinking that, like, eventually they wouldn't piece this together that you're filling up three gas cans like she's almost an she's almost a genius she's <laughs> almost she just there. Falls short <laughs> like she should have been she should have premeditated longer and gotten gas over the period of like two months and kept it in her garage right. this is close close but no cigar jody then two days after the murder jody's debit card was used three times to buy fuel at a tesoro gas station in salt lake city at a Pilot Flying J Travel Center in Winnemucca, Nevada, and at a 7-Eleven in Sparks, Nevada. So what's happening here is Jody is buying gas in California and filling up the gas cans as reserve fuel so she wouldn't be forced to stop in Arizona for gas, which saves her from being captured on surveillance and using her ATM card here. So this evidence, in addition to helping the state strengthen their case against Jody, it also provides more premeditation. Well, they also pro- she also probably figured that uh, if they wanted to look into her as a person of interest, they would check her bank records and she didn't want to use her card in Arizona. Oh, yeah, of course. She made all of her purchases in California. She probably bought a bunch of snacks, brought a cup, packed a cooler with sandwiches. She probably did the whole thing, just like that astronaut woman who wore a diaper. <laughs> Same thing. She Same probably like was thing. pulling over on the side of the road to pee. She probably bought a roll of toilet paper, too. No, that's it's so true. She really was prepping for I mean, she did a great fucking job for the most part. Close but no cigar, Jody. <laughs> so it was the culmination of this evidence against Jody, much of it that was visually documented, that fueled this perfect media firestorm. There are the pictures of this gorgeous couple taking trips all over the country. There were steamy photos of them taken moments before Travis was killed. There was Jody's smiling mugshot. And there is this beautiful murder suspect doing headstands in an interrogation room. And the media attention wasn't just squarely on Jody and Travis, but their families, colleagues, and close friends as well. That that was just that was just a time of life that was like you know felt like fiction. You know, the news is in the business of of eyeballs. You know, they're in the business of traffic. They're in the business of uh, taking 
and keeping our consciousness so that they can sell advertising, right? I mean, we all kind of get the game, those of us that are in business. So, and, and what gets more eyeballs is sensationalism and smut. And that's why this story was so popular because it was two attractive, beautiful people. And oh my gosh, Mormonism is at the center and sex and lies and actual videotape, you know? I mean, it was, it was like the darling of the media. And it was for me personally, it was maddening. I wouldn't say devastating, you know, cause it was, I understand the game, but it was sickening. It was sickening for me to watch all of this because for the media, it, it, it is not about the story. It's not about the families that were devastated. For the media, it's about ratings. That's it. On September 5th, 2008, Jody was extradited to Mesa, Arizona to face charges. She pled not guilty on September 11th, 2008. And the moment Jody pled not guilty, she set in motion the eventual trial that would go down as one of the most watched and talked about in American history. week's episode, we gave you the backstory. And on this week's episode, we took you through the investigation, every painstaking detail. And if you're wondering if there's anything that could possibly be more shocking, cringeworthy, and outlandish than what we've already shared with you, the answer is yes. And that's the trial, which we'll be delving into next week. All right. Well, a huge thank you to our first degree, Chris Hughes. He will be sticking around for part three of our Jody area special. Until then, follow us on Instagram at the first degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. Just search the first degree in the search bar and stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But But not not that that close. close. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.
All right. Well, welcome to a Sace de Mayo episode of Killing. No, it's not Sace de Mayo. Yes, it is Sace de Mayo of Killing Sace Time. Sace de Mayo. Yes. Do you guys want to know what was happening before we started recording Killing Time? What I was doing? Yes. Yeah, I would like to know because I'm pretty pissed off about it. So apparently at Taco Bell, you can order a party pack and they send you all of the ingredients to make your own whatever item on the menu that you want to make from Taco Bell. So they send you like 12 tortillas, all this meat, all this cheese, sour cream, everything. And you can make whatever the hell you want at home. So that's what I just got. That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, so we heard so we heard activity. As we were as we were setting up, we heard, "Oh, Taco Bell is here." Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. you know what? And now, I, now I'm just angry. It it was it's pretty delicious. I mean, we are recording this 2 days before actual or no, 1 day before Cinco de Mayo, so I'm going to do it for Cinco de Mayo and have a fiesta. Um, but it's just good to know that if you want to make your own Taco Bell at your own leisure, then you can just get all the ingredients there instead of trying to piece it together from different grocery stores. Mm. So it's a little life totally. in quarantine. You can, you can still order from Taco Bell though. And you can just order from Taco Bell too. It was from Taco Bell delivery. Um, okay. So for this episode of Killing Time, first Alexis, do we have any updates about your, about Lizzo? No, Lizzo has not been seen in six days. So, so I don't know gone. if Lizzo's like posted up. Well, I don't know. I don't know if she's gone or if like she like really lives here in some drawer or cabinet that I haven't opened in six days and that she's going to give me a little surprise eventually mm. when I see her or, or is she dead and she's decomposing somewhere, which will also be a nightmare or she got out. So there are a few uh, <laughs> options that we're working with. <laughs> Many options. Now, do you ever get nervous that she's going to crawl into your bed and on top of your face when you sleep? Not really. I don't think like they're kind of like she kind of hugs the perimeter. Like I think right. their instinct is to know how to get out. She's not really the times I've seen her, she's hugging the perimeter. She's looking for an exit or she's looking for a nook to hide in. I don't think she'd come to the center and then crawl up and like cozy up in my sheets and blankets. <laughs> but it's yeah. she's, not like, she's, not a, she's not a monkey. Like a monkey would go trying, straight for her yeah. face. Yeah. She's not trying to like hang out with you on the couch. No, she's pretty um, elusive and uh, pretty skittish. So we're not, uh, we haven't formed a bond or anything like that at this point. But oh, I'm hopeful. That's kind of a bummer. I thought that she'd be your like new sidekick and that's what you would really get out of quarantine is having a new best friend. I know. And I'm wondering if she's grown since I saw her. I mean, maybe there's another six inches <laughs> on that thing. Well, and we did have another firstie that also had the exact same type of a lizard mm-hmm. In her apartment, but her tail had fallen off. So she was trying to escape. You know, it's really funny. A girl um, I know on Instagram story posted just a picture, a video of it looked like a headless snake, like writhing on the ground. And I messaged her, she's like, look at this headless snake. And I was like, girl, that is the tail of a lizard. So I I looked it up. So um, alligator lizards and they're, they're mating right now. That's why there's a plethora of them. But if you try to pick them up by the tail, they can detach their tail to oh, live, right? right? And to distract the predator, the tail will move around and writhe for like mm-hmm. five minutes so that the lizard oh. can get away. So this girl yes. saw a headless snake. I was like, no, no. And I sent her a link. I'm like, that is the detached <laughs> tail of an alligator lizard. And the first in our group who had the, the lizard, it had like a stump tail. So clearly 
either a predator or a person or something pulled that tail off and it was growing back. It regenerates, but it takes a ton of energy. So they, they try to encourage people not to do that because it's not nice to the lizard. Uh, did you think that this was the kind of information you would be like really an expert on? <laughs> at no, these and times? When I, I had to give her the backstory when I messaged her this because I didn't want to sound like I was like a weird flex. Like, hey, just so you know, I was like, hey, here's why I know this. I'm not like a know-it-all. <laughs> um, I've been doing, I've been deep diving on this particular type of lizard. So she was appreciative and she was relieved that it wasn't a headless snake, <laughs> like still moving around. It's it's a lot more comforting. See that, than see that. that's the difference. Like if it, if it was blood spatter, she'd be like, just so you know, the blood spatter is this, and then that's why it's not. That's it's true. Not I probably would have done it whether I knew about that. it or not. I'm sort of like a know it all yeah. as in general. So, <laughs> oh fair, no shit. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I know everything. Don't fuck with me. Wow. I've been getting yeah. it. Actually, speaking of our Facebook group too, we've been. I've been going back and forth with some firsties about the Centoya Brown case. I'm kind of a know it all about that one. I've been just sort of on one. It's been an intense couple of days yes. for me. Yeah, so it has been. I have been. People. <laughs> I have been uh, lurking and seeing your your nice comment wars. It's it's a civil comment war, but you're having some comment wars, and that's well, okay. I people, I happen to know a lot about that one because Pat Pastiglione, our guest for two episodes in a row on Bruce Mendenhall and on um, Sarah Holbert episodes. He oversaw the Centoya Brown case and he we've talked a lot about it. And that would be a really interesting one to cover because there is so much controversy about it. I think we should. So, yeah. yeah. We should. Yeah, mm-hmm. we should. Oh my God, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Either of you has anything else weird happened in the past week that we need to report on? I saw Andy Garcia riding his bicycle. So that's that's my <laughs> Wow. That's a good that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. Alexis, not bad. anything? Not bad. Yeah. Nothing beyond the lizards, no. Oh, yeah. that's good. Well, I mean, it's good to have a, a non-eventful week. Yeah. Andy Garcia and lizards. Okay. That's all you all need. Right. Okay. So we're going to jump into a few questions for Killing Time because we've got some, we've got a, a couple of good ones. So I'm going to start off here. If you're arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume that you've done? I'll start with Alexis. Oh, man. I don't know. I've got sort of like a not a mean streak. I'm one of those people who I'm nice for like three years straight. And then one day the wrong thing happens to me and I lose my shit Hmm. and I'm terrifying. Hmm. So I would say probably, I don't know. And you guys can answer this. I mean, you can tell me if it's wrong or right. Like probably losing my shit and just telling a cop to fuck off or like telling, you know, just messing with what? What like if a police, cop, like if a cop pulled me that? over and I was having just the day where I was teeming with just, Dis- if I was just having disorderly a day, misconduct. Yeah, okay, something right. where I just was like super defiant and, um, bitchy and sassy and just, I can be real mm. obnoxious <laughs> if when pushed yes. far enough. <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's true. Are you, yeah, if you're having a day, if you're having a day, even if yeah. whoever you were, you know, questioning their authority didn't do something specifically terrible, you could take it out on somebody wrong, I think. Exactly. So I think it'd be something like that. Like, I don't have a violent streak because I don't really have a temper. It would just be like, like a tongue lap, an outburst, I would just tongue lap, an outburst you know, yeah. and then I'd apologize and be really nice after and probably get out of it. So. 
That's true. Billy, what would you be arrested for? Yeah, Billy. All right. For me, I think I would be, it would probably be something along the lines of breaking and entering to try and figure out a story or something. I think that's what people would would think of me. Oh, would you know? they? Breaking and oh, entering for they? a yes. story? For a story, yes. Uh, this good makes one. me such a good investigative journalist. <laughs> yeah, I disagree with that one, Billy, but that was cute. I don't. Th- I can't even think of what Billy would be arrested I for. I think Billy would get drunk and break oh, and drunk. think he was home and go into the wrong apartment and fall asleep <laughs> yes. on somebody else's bed yes. or on somebody or else's couch. <laughs> Billy would like or accidentally like get in drunk. public somewhere. Yes, yes, something like being or like, in public could work. Yes, or like breaking being, being into in public a, is a possibility. Being yeah. in public, and I think you know, drunkenly crawling, going into somebody else's home and thinking it's him. Yeah, I'm not do that. I've never done that before. I'm but not you would, Billy. You definitely would get that drunk to do that, where you think you you're doing could, something yeah. and you're doing something else. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? That, that would not happen. Okay. okay. I I think that mine. I'm like. I follow most of the rules. Um, I think mine would end up being maybe me being pretty drunk and trying to trespass somewhere, not for my job, but for like a good time or to like jump off of something high or something like that for a fun time. So the Hollywood sign, you'd want to jump off the Hollywood sign. Yeah, something like that. You know, and no, drunken- you would fucking die from jumping off the Hollywood sign. Don't say that. I wasn't. No, I, think, I think. I think for Jack, I I agree with that, and I think there's another possibility. Jack is like the most apathetic person I know. So I think just indifference <laughs> about a law, she'd be like, "Oh, I don't care," and just do the thing or not do the thing. Yeah, I don't really like follow jaywalking so say it's like something like a jaywalking that's like stupid and you can do it safely usually and you're wow. not hurting anybody or By like jumping way. off a ski- yeah i was gonna say like jumping off a ski lift like something like that's endangering herself that's against the law yeah but it's fun exactly mm. yeah right. just gotta just gotta have it for the story by, by the way what? alexis hates jaywalking hates <laughs> I will not. I will not. It gives me. I hate Alexis it. Alexis is Alexis is all like, I'm a bad bitch. I'm this. I'm that. And and this is like, come on. There's like no cars here. It's just like, nope. You can be a Alexis bad bitch. Is a rule follower rules. usually though. I am a rule follower unless it's like in my personal life. Those are all the rules I break. Um, but <laughs> as like a as a citizen, I'm um, pretty law abiding, and I just don't well, like see, to break the I, rules. I follow rules unless they don't like that, like jaywalking, for example, like maybe I'd put myself in some danger, but I would never not follow a rule that either put somebody else in danger or was rude. Like I would never cut in line and I would never steal or do anything that would hurt somebody else. But if it's just like something that I could cross the street really quick and no cars are coming, then I, that's it. That's easy. No jaywalking. Mm. No, thank you. (laughs) Unless it's like an empty street. MDs, there's, a yeah. those, there's a lot of those out there right now. Right. Let's call this. We're calling it? Yeah, we're calling it. All right. Well, 1302. T- you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. 
That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.